training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey, welcome to the Pendola Project. I'm Matt Pendola. And I'm Jake Parker. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I had a good week so far. Went on a nice little trail run this morning with one of my athletes, Emily, and we're getting ready for the North Face Championships for for some reason, I've agreed to do that this year. No, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Because you I, had nothing else to do? Yeah, I had nothing yeah. else to do. Uh, actually, I'm doing the North Face Championships in part because I want to get in shape for the Spartan uh, World Championships this next month. It's in our own backyard, and I figured, well, why not should do that? And so it's just good, uh, good training, good progression. Is that the one in Tahoe? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, I've, I've seen that, and that is on my list. I have to accomplish a Spartan race at some point. Yeah, they're fun. I really like what they're doing there, just getting people. Their goal is to get as many people off the couch as possible. It's Of course, there's elite athletes out there, but the majority of people that are just trying to you know, get out there and have a good time and, um, you know, accomplish something for themselves that not everybody can do without really planning, without putting in some time, without um, getting a little bit stronger, a little bit more mentally and physically fit, but nothing too crazy, nothing overwhelming. And there's also a lot of teamwork involved. People really help each other out, help each other get through the obstacles. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And that that's me, you know, that general audience. I just want to do it because it looks cool. I'm not competing. I don't care what place. I come in. I just think it would be a cool accomplishment, and I'm I'm gonna do it. Yeah, and you know, I I get inspired by that. I really do. I have to admit, I do care what place I come in. I, sure. I've always I've always competed at that level in my mind, but I appreciate the energy out there, the attitude, the atmosphere, and it really motivates me as well. And I hold a lot of respect for the people who get themselves out there and do it. Is it similar to Tough Mudder? Yeah, Tough Mudder. I've done that one as well. There's a couple differences. One, you don't get shocked in Spartan racing. I'm hoping they don't ever bring that. That in. part is pretty weird. Yeah. Of the tough mutters. When I first heard that, I was like, "What? Yeah. You have wires, hot wires hanging. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, it's shocking. It, it's 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 definitely hard to get used to getting shocked like that. I don't know if there is any getting used no. to it. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't really love that part of it. And the the course I did some years back, there was two different sections where you had to get shocked. <laughs> it's like run through this snake pit, right? That, nobody's ever gonna get used to that. That's the terrible idea. No, uh, and I actually had I talked to a guy who won our heat, um, and he actually w- passed me at the very end when we were getting shocked. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting uh, second in a, what they would call a competitive wave. And he, uh, fair and square, I mean, he, he beat me. He, was, he just went right through it like it was nothing. And I was even wondering, like, maybe it's not working for him. It's definitely working for me. But he told me that he actually got tasered on a regular basis, getting used to it. Part of his training? <laughs> Part of his training. I don't know. That's just insane to me. And I don't know what the long-term effects of that, but it can't be good. That can't be good, man. That doesn't That doesn't sound right. It's like when they make the new army recruits go into the, the gas chambers for a little bit, like without a gas mask. I think that's part of their training. That's crazy. 
crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, but it'll be fun to do Spartan. They don't have the shocking stations. That's good. One thing they do have that's really tough for me, you have to swim. I'm not, I'm sort of swim safe. I don't know if I would call myself a real swimmer. So you've got the floaties off? <clears throat> yeah, No right. water wings? No water wings. I just, I've never been much of a swimmer. I didn't learn how to swim efficiently. Uh, when I got older and I was doing a half Ironman, I did hire a coach for that. And it was, it was, it was okay. It was okay. It's not just not something I loved doing. I think that someday I will take it a little bit more seriously because I do want to do an Ironman at some point, but it takes a lot of time, man. You got to find that pool and you've got to get your workouts in and it's a whole thing. Running, I just get to kind of step out the door and go. You, you've done that for forever. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, here I am. I'm just uh, creating some excuses for myself. But at some point, I will get after the swimming a little bit more. But that's not the hard part, really. The hard part is that you're swimming through a snowmelt lake, and it's pretty brutal. I also have an issue with my hands when I was in the military, we did cold weather training, and I ended up getting some problems there. So something that they call Reynolds disease, and I have that where I can't really grip. I can't really flex my hands once they get too cold, and it takes a long time for them to get their grip back. So when I get out of the water there, it's all about getting my hands moving again and just praying that I'm going to actually be able to do the next station. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that that's a normal human response, I think. But uh, if you have it even worse, that's not easy. Yeah. So, but that's actually why I want to do it. I, I think it's a good challenge. It's I think more of a mental challenge than anything. It does sound very physical and it is, but there are some things that I can practice there. So I've been working on my breathing patterns there's a guy named Wim Hof that has a lot of videos on your fire breathing so you can get your body temperature back up quicker. So I've been working on those type of things and it does work. You just have to really commit to the process. I used to do those Wim Hof showers where you take a normal shower and then at the last minute, freezing cold, as cold as you can stand it. And I psych myself up and okay, here it comes Wim Hof, ah, cold water. It's funny you mention that because I've been doing that for the last four years. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Never miss a day. What's the, what's day. the point behind it? Because I noticed how it made you feel. It, it does feel different. It feels good once you're out of that cold, terrible shower. But what is it? Is it enzymes? Is it secreting different hormones? What's going on when you do that? Well, yeah, I don't know if I would say there's enough science behind it right now. I think I've done some reading on it, but I do know what works for me. And I do think it helps with my blood pressure. Oh, nice. So I do have higher blood pressure. It just kind of runs in the family. So obviously I address it with my nutrition, my recovery, my breathing, those type of things. But the cold showers do seem to help. Also, it just gets me ready for my day. Like, like you said, it just kind of gets me going. Like, oof, all right. It psychs you right up. Right. Like if you're groggy, if you're a little sleepy, turn the water onto really, really cold. You'll wake up immediately. That's right. That's right. So yeah, I just started, I started doing about four years ago. I was reading uh, Wim Hof stuff. And also I was just getting ready for my first Spartan race at the time. And I thought it would help prepare me a little bit better, which it did. 
Yeah, that's awesome. You know, Wim Hof, thanks for the work you do. I think you're absolutely nuts, but you, you've got some cool stuff out there, and I'll, I'll keep that up. I'll try that cold shower thing again. It's a good trick. So, Matt, we just had a great conversation, and it was all about what is Pandola training and what is the culture. You know, that's such an essential part of any brand, but, you know, your gym specifically, even your logo, check out the logo. It's got those three main sticking points, the culture fitness and mindset yeah at the base of our pyramid we have culture and that's for a reason we feel like everything really grows from there if you have good culture you're going to be able to develop a better base and that's going to allow you to have a higher peak in your goals in your overall lifestyle your fitness your health all of those things are intertwined but supported with culture yeah and it's that intangible it factored you know what is pendola training how does it feel when you think of it it's that culture that comes to mind so we keep saying culture jake but really what is culture well i think that like anything else we have a process to success that needs to be individualized for us but supported by our community so when we talk about our culture we're going to get a little bit more into detail about how we can do these things and how we can have a more open mindset and how we can also rely on others to help us in that process to success because none of us achieve greatness on our own. So without further ado, our Pandola Project podcast on culture, fitness, and mindset. You know that we're talking about the culture that you have, that you have cultivated at Pandola Training. It's really exhibited in your, I almost almost said kids. They're not kids, they're athletes. In your athletes, they just love you, man. Oh, thanks. It, it's It's been so much fun. Last 15 years, I've learned so much from my athletes. And a lot of them are kids, of course. I actually started off with adults. And then some of those adults were saying, hey, would you work with my kid? Right. And little did I know that that was actually going to be the main thing I ended up doing. I enjoy it so much. So you didn't start out with that in mind? No, we actually, it was the typical weight loss was kind of, I'd say 90%, if not more of the people who are hiring me. And that, there was nothing wrong with that. I, I, I enjoyed that. But there was a point where I realized I, I kind of, um, I knew that my niche was going to be a little bit more around athletes who had specific goals towards events that they were training for. So I knew that performance enhancement was going to be probably a bigger part of my process. It was something that I was passionate about because it had a big part of my own history involved with that. And I knew I could relate a lot better to the things that I was talking with my athletes about in those senses, in those cases. Although I will say that my executives that I still train to this day, it's not that different the way that we talk to them, the way that we train them even, than it is with my younger athletes who are in their prime. Yeah, it's you know specific to you and your needs. And you probably got started in that because you know you had that experience with the, the military and the hotshot firefighting, right? Yeah, yeah. And I had a lot of structure from those things, which was good. And I realized that 
I could provide good structure, but I, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And when I first started coaching, especially kids, I was too strict for sure. I was too militant, if you will. It's the way I was coached. It's the way I was taught. So it was sort of natural for me to be a little bit more militant, but honestly, it wasn't my personality organically. It was something that I was sort of ingrained in and seeped in very young. And I just thought that that's what you do. You break people down and then you build them back up and da 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 And over time, I started reading more, actually picked up a book or two and mm-hmm. started reading John Wooden's work. And he changed my coaching completely. So when, once I read his work, and obviously those of you not familiar, John Wooden is considered to be possibly the greatest coach of all time, any sport, but he coached basketball. And John wrote some books about his pyramid of success that I became very interested in. But he essentially talks about how he loves his athletes and how it's okay to give them compassion and understanding that uh, these athletes are going through things outside of sport and that they're people first. So I started to change my coaching, realizing that I had a person walking in to come see me, not just a number when I say not a number, I got too stuck in the beginning of, okay, what are we, you know, what are we lifting? What, what kind of weight are we lifting here? What, uh, what are we jumping? What's our vertical? What's our velocity? You know, how fast are we running? Those type of things were always in my mind, but you have a person walking in and you just simply ask them, Hey, how you doing today? And understanding that some people need to just talk for five minutes as they're warming up about, things that are coming up in their lives that, you know, that, that, that they need to get out. And now the workout goes better and they have a relationship with you where you've built some trust there. They know that you actually care about them. Yeah. And you kind of develop these friendships with them. You know, they're, they're not just your clients. You develop a genuine care for their well-being. You help them move when they need help. Yeah. I, I listened to another great coach. I went to a seminar one time. I was listening to this coach that had an incredible record. And he said one of his favorite moments in his coaching career was watching his athlete get married. That's awesome. And I started thinking to myself, how many athletes invite their coaches to their wedding? Right. I want to be that coach. I want to be that coach that gets invited to my athlete's wedding. So it doesn't matter how much you know if people don't know how much you care. So that's where I kind of flip the switch a little bit and change things up. And yeah, I have really amazing athletes of any age, of all ages. And uh, I do. I care about them. They care about me. And a culture started to really develop at that point. I would say that it's really progressed in the last five or six years, much, much more so than the first five or six years. And, you know, you're learning, you're growing as a person, as a coach. I learned and and grew and understood what worked better. And honestly, this is what I would prefer to leave a legacy like anyways. Yeah, I just think it's interesting how fitness is what gets them in the door. You know, I need training for sport specific, whatever. I have this goal that I I need to reach and I, I want your help with that. But the things that they learn that will affect so much more than just their fitness goals. You know, these are life tips. These are helping you develop a better character, become a better person. Yeah. And I think when 
people first started coming into me, I felt that I was being hired to do a job. They, I wasn't. I wasn't their friend before this. They didn't they didn't know me. They were coming in because I got results with people and they expected those results. And I almost felt like if they're paying me, I need to just be that professional who gives them the results. Mm-hmm. And then of course all the things we've already talked about came into fruition and then I started realizing that a lot of my athletes were no longer having fun at what they were doing. And now they're coming into the gym and they're just grinding it out some more. So I started really just, look, I, I, I love to see you guys having fun in here. Yeah, we're gonna get good work done. We need to work, there's no question. When it's time to flip that switch on and work, we need to be able to do that. But we need to have fun too. And I love to see my athletes smiling and laughing, supporting each other, just sharing stories together. You know, some of them go and, grab a coffee or see a movie after or just, hey, you know, we're going to go out for a run. You want to come this weekend? And so they they are friends and they know each other. I don't think that that was going on as much when I first started up my programs because I didn't even give them time to really get to know each other that way. They were competing against each other. They were competitors. They weren't friends. Now they're friends too, and they compete. They weren't supporting each other maybe as much as they could have been or that they that they do now, but they're people, right? And they have to enjoy what they're doing. And I mean, if you can make a business and have fun at the same time, Matt, then you're, you're killing it, man. And I'll tell you what, if this podcast ever becomes not fun, I'm out because that, that is a huge, important point to me. It has got to be work first. Yes. You have to get the work done first, but make it fun too, if you can. Right. And you know, today's a holiday. You're in here with me. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Happy Labor Day. And sure, of course, having to work on a holiday, that's maybe not fun when you think about it that way. But I looked forward to coming in today. And and a big part of it is because you and I are friends. Mm -hmm. And I know you care as much about this as I do. That's why you're my producer. Yep. And of course, we have a long history together. You used to actually be one of my trainers. I was. I was your intern, assistant, and then eventually trainer. And man, I learned a lot of really cool stuff. And not just about, you know, fitness, nutrition, mindset. I learned how to, you know, be a people person at that gym. I learned how to be a part of a culture that was bigger than myself. And that was really cool. That was something that I'll, I'll keep with me the rest of my life. Well, that's, see, that's exactly what I love to hear. And that's what I hope that all of my athletes leave with because very few of them are going to go on to be collegiate athletes, even fewer professional athletes, and even fewer making a living at it. So that's obviously not the real point. We want to develop the proper culture so that our athletes can go on and succeed at things in life based off of what they learned in part, at least, in our culture. Yeah, and that's one of the intangible things that's so cool about sports. I was never into sports. I was never good at them. I I like martial arts, but, you know, I dabble. It's a hobby. It's not a sport to me. But um, the intangible lessons and the character development that come from those sports, and you just kind of, like, you distill it down even more and make it even more concentrated at your gym. And so those are things that the athletes take with them, whatever you want to do. You know, you want to open up a coffee shop, you're going to remember the character that you built busting your ass working hard at pendola training 
Yeah, everything seems a little bit easier in life when you have already done things that you can say compared to what to. Yeah, that relevance, that reference point, like this isn't as hard as those sled pushes I had to do. Right, right. And and I think that when, even when it comes to my executives, by the way, so adults listening in here, when you go into the gym or you're doing something for yourself to get healthier, it doesn't have to all be a grind there either. Sometimes the best thing you can do is have a nice, light, fun, easy day. Just make it fun. Enjoy yourself in there. Get the blood flowing. But, you know, have a conversation with somebody that you didn't know. Get to know them. Understand their story. You know, maybe you just found a new friend in that process. So sometimes I think that we're always looking to that next level where we maybe don't understand that the level that we are in right now is really great for what we need to accomplish for ourselves. We don't need to necessarily always go into that next harder phase, or we don't need to make every day hard. So I would say that with my executives, for example, though, I learned that same lesson that they're coming in from a lot of stress. Again, I felt like I had to always give them like high intensity interval workouts, make it hard, a lot of bang for your buck so you're going to lose that weight so you're going to get more fit and I don't have a lot of time with you better slam this out and that's the last thing they're looking for that day is to get trashed you know they're already feeling like they're depleted they're already 20% down and I'm going to take them another 20% down they don't want to feel that way I want people feeling better when they leave than when they walked in. And that's one of my philosophies. No matter what the day is, feel better when you leave than when you walked in. So if we do put in a hard day, it's a day that was suitable for your energy. I think that's another big difference between your you know smaller place and the big box gyms. Um, they are just selling a product, whereas you are, you know, you're molding this this person and you're helping them develop on their own. You're not just there to, okay, we've got uh, 33 calories to go until we're done. Right. You know, right. and that, that's a huge difference because I, I work out at the other gyms too. And, you know, I, I take little group classes and they're fun. They're, they're nice to have somebody just tell you what to do. Sure. But it's not the same. It is nowhere near that level of care for me as a person. You know, how was my day? You don't care because you, you're just trying to get this class going, right? But at uh, at the smaller, more personalized gyms like Pandola, it's, it's so much more encompassing. What did you eat today? What did you eat last night? How did you sleep? Right. And that's the obvious move right now in fitness is the culture in places like or gyms that have these high intensity classes or CrossFit, the, these type of programs that are very popular right now. I don't have a problem with the classes. I have a problem with the fact that not everybody should be at that intensity as often as they are, or that maybe that particular program that day is not suitable for you when you, you've been sitting all day and your hips all gunked up and glued up and you're not moving super well, and now you're going to do a lot of explosive hip extension type of work, for example. We need to do things that are right for us and where we're at, not only that progression, but that day. Yeah, so a good workout is different from the right workout. 
That's right. Yeah. And of course, not everybody has the option of having a personal trainer or to have a program that's exclusively built for them. But I would say that you can always use what I refer to as mental flexibility. So you know that your heart rate's a little high that day, your resting heart rate's a little high, that you just feel more stressed overall. Just take it down a notch or two and just do what's right for you, do what's more relative for you, and you'll get a lot further along. People don't get results when they're constantly getting chronically fatigued, injured, just burnt out. So... Think long-term, guys. Think long-term about your goals and what you're trying to accomplish. And do I really need to do this today? Now, don't get me wrong. There's some days you should get after, especially, hey, I feel really good today. I think today is a go day. You know, I think today is a day that I would call a quality workout day. And actually, that term workout, by the way, I believe that you should always train. Training means there's a prescription, there's a plan, basically, for the training. And even in that effect, I always say I write my programs in pencil, which basically it's not true, right? We write our programs out a month ahead of time. A lot of times my athletes, we have their progressions for even three months in advance, but it's just a structure. And that particular day, we could change up movements. We could change up sets. We could end up throwing out the workout all together and putting in what I call some decompression work to where we're just more worried about uh, decompression tissue, getting more range of motion in our joints, just feeling better overall, and just scrap the hard work that day. So training versus workouts, try not to work out, try to train. Yeah. And, you know, physical flexibility, programming flexibility, write it in pencil because life happens, things change. And then on the mental flexibility, I think that's so important when it comes from a coach. Because me, myself, if I'm telling myself, oh, maybe I should take it a little easy today, you know, I had a late night last night or whatever it is, a lot of the times our culture, we have so much go, 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 get after it, go live your best life, you know, you just scroll through Instagram, that's all you see. And having a coach tell you it is okay to take a you day or, you know, go easier today. We'll just do some light mobility work, whatever. Coming from the person that you look to for your advice, I think that's really powerful. And I think people need to hear that sometimes. Otherwise, you do face that burnout. Because if your inner voice is telling you, oh, you're just being weak, you're just being a coward, go go do it. Well, sometimes that's not the case. Right. And I do enjoy working with groups. Um, I do think that there's what they refer to as the group effect, where essentially people do work harder when they're in a group. And that can work really well. I Don't get me wrong, I believe that group training can be really effective. It's just as long as each athlete has some mental flexibility within that group. So even for myself, I'm doing some training for the CIM marathon coming up. And the marathon running is not my passion, but I love training with this group and I love uh, meeting with these guys and getting in the runs. And I love the overall goal of trying to qualify for Boston with the rest of this group. And it is going to help with the rest of my goals. So I'm doing it. But there are days where I just don't have it as much as I do on other days. 
And so just interestingly, we were out on a run and I was probably doing nine minute pace, which, you know, for me is going to be much slower than I would normally run. And um, people will leave me behind. That's okay. You got to put your ego in check and just say, I'm doing what's right for me today. Then you have to deal with the side effect of that is people assume that something's wrong with you. Do you have an injury? Did you, you, did you strain something? Is your, is your calf hurting? Are you sick? You know, what's going on? No, I just needed to take it easy today. And, uh, I did. So, you know, just having that mindset and being okay with it and sometimes not being a part of the group, but when you can be to be a part of the group. Now, the other part of that, that I think if you're doing that, Sometimes you're going to find that, or almost every time I find that I have at least one or two other people in my group that will hang back with me because they're kind of glad that there was that one person that wasn't going to push as hard that day and was going to turn it into an easier day. And now they're not alone doing that. So I can create my own group effect for that purpose on an easy day where now more people in that group know they can go easy if they need to. Probably they won't be alone doing it. Yeah. And finding the right group is so crucial to that because on the other side, you know, the other side of that coin, you have the guy who's kind of always taking it easy and the group most likely won't allow that to continue. That's a positive. The downside to the potential group um, effect is when you have that one guy who's like, oh, you're just being weak. Come on, we're going, we're going. And you're like, no, no, really, man, I, I really need to take it easy right now. But, you know, you have this training versus working out mindset. Most people, I think, will understand like, okay, he knows what he's doing. He knows what's best for him. He is going to take it easy and that's fine. Yeah. And I talk about this with my athletes a lot, but do you see things as competition or do you see it as a threat? Hmm. Right? So when I see that competition around me, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that criticism you just gave me as competition. And in my own process to success, I'm going to get there. And guess what? Come race day, you're in trouble. Now um, that's a threat. Right, right. Now I'm the threat. I love that. So that's a, just an example of how you can see competition versus threats and how you can use it in a constructive way. So, you know, don't feel compelled to do what everybody else is doing or what one person is sort of dictating within that group. That's usually the person, by the way, that gets burnt out or injured or doesn't perform super well in the lo long term. And then all of a sudden, hey, what happened, man? I thought you were doing so great. You're always talking smack to me about it. What happened? <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, on a finishing note on that topic, I would say that, look, if you have so somebody within that group that's acting that way or you have several people acting that way, maybe you're in the wrong group. Exactly. And there are other ones out there. You can find cooler people to hang out with. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're you're the product of, uh, what do they say? You're a product of the five people you hang out with. I think or... you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Some Somebody smarter than me said that once. Yeah. And, and so what I've found is that with my athletes, they really support each other 
And that is one part of our culture that I'm absolutely militant about. If you if you say something, I'm still militant about. Everybody needs to support each other. If, if I have somebody in my group that's negative, that's trying to put other people down, they're trying to elevate themselves by pushing other people down, they're not going to last in my culture. No, and what's so cool about the culture at the Pandola Gym is you don't have to do that. That aspect is self-regulating the other athletes will push out you know the guy who's being a prick they won't tolerate it it's not even it doesn't even have to come from you right yeah in the beginning i think that i provided a lot more of the fuel i think that i had a lot of the structure laid down and there were some athletes that i dismissed from my gym I never enjoyed doing that, but uh, there were times where I had to, and then it set a precedence. But at this point, the culture has taken over. It's really become a product of, like you said, the athletes are the ones who now really grow the culture and continue to get that culture stronger and stronger because that's what they expect. And I really do very little as far as that goes. You're absolutely right. So what we're really talking about here, Jake, is community. This is about how we support each other. Redwoods, that's what comes to mind. It's the tallest tree in the world. 379 feet is the highest tree, and that's a redwood. They actually support each other. They don't have this deep rooting system like other trees have. They actually have shallow roots relative to their height. I didn't know that. Yeah. So these roots, they interlock with each other and they grab onto each other and they hold each other up. So now you can use that as an analogy, which I do with my athletes, where we're helping each other. We're supporting each other through the storm. You have those high winds coming through. The trees don't get knocked down because they're supporting each other because they're literally interlocked and they won't let each other fall. That's a pretty powerful message, man. I like that a lot. Right. That's where I think if, let's say you have a different tree that somehow finds its way into that community, and that tree, its only goal is to get the sunlight. So it's going to shoot itself up, and it's going to grab for that sunlight, and it's going to try to get its own growth, but it's not going to use the other trees. It's not going to interlock with them. When those high winds come down that tree falls. You may be the tallest one, but you're all alone. Right? So that's that's kind of where we talk a little bit more with our athletes about how we need to work together in order to get the highest goals possible. When one athlete in our culture is doing a little bit better, what I love is that the other athletes see that as inspiration. They see it as even a challenge, but not a threat. Huge distinction challenge versus threat and that one athlete who's really you know maybe he's got a great vertical jump or whatever it is he's not you know puffing his chest out about it at your gym you know he's not intimidating the other athletes who can't do that yet they the the leaders of these packs they kind of get this help everybody up mentality because that's the culture at your gym and everyone's supporting everyone else like these redwoods there's not going to be one standalone guy that everybody else looks up to and, you know, is squashed by. Right. And I'll think of a guy, Matt Williams, who we are going to have on this podcast in the future. Matt, he recently went 11 feet, three and a half inch vertical jump. I can remember when he couldn't dunk a basketball at 10 feet. 
And the crazy part about this is Matt, he is one of those guys that had a, a lot of ability. He definitely was a little bit more gifted in his ability to uh, achieve vertical in the first place, right? To achieve that, those higher jumps. He has good springs. But there is a tipping point. There is a point where you have to do more. And Matt was not so into protocol, for example, in the beginning. He wasn't into these accessory movements that you should be doing. He he just wanted to do the bells and whistles. You know, he wanted to jump higher. The stuff that looks cool. Right. Mm-hmm. And it it took a while, but Matt ended up really embracing that process. And the reason why he did is because other athletes in the gym were there as the example for him that, that hey this works for this works for me it'll work for you. you if it's worth doing do it every day you have to commit to it and you have to keep doing it but I promise you I noticed re- results I noticed a difference after six weeks I noticed even more of a difference after three months and man after a year of this I was a different athlete and. Matt, he ended up using that same culture to help others because when he was now the state champion in the high jump, in hurdles, he was helping my other kids. He was now that person being the example, helping them understand the process. And not only that, but he actually took the time with one of my high jumpers to helped to teach her some cues that really worked well for him that he felt like would work well for her as well because they both had similar mechanics. And for me, it was almost a tearjerker just watching him take this athlete aside and just give his knowledge to this other athlete because he simply wanted to help. And that's what I mean about there's no threats there. There's just let me help to elevate you. This culture helped to elevate me. Now I want to give back. Yeah, man. And after that kind of success, now Matt is going to become the kid who's helping the next person who doesn't want to do their protocol. The next person who thinks foam rolling is weird and doesn't look cool. Matt's going to be the ones going, actually, I used to say the same thing. Do it anyway watch the results come in and that's going to support that culture of lifting each other up. Yeah. It reminds me of grace, gratitude, and guts. And that's from the great coach, Bobby McGee, that I'm very fortunate to work with. He's at the Olympic training center with the U S triathlon team. But, uh, he says we all have obstacles and we all have experiences to share, but it's in our performance partners that we're able to, get to that next level often it's in that culture so a good example i like to share is with my runners i had a girl about a few years back anyways she was a phenom really she was one of those very few runners that from the very beginning she was running pretty darn fast she was third in the state in cross country her freshman year you skip ahead a couple years and she's running a sub five minute mile. She's phenomenal. But other athletes had joined the group in part because they wanted to get in the type of training she was doing. There's no magic to it. What it really was is in part her support and her example. And a lot of the other athletes going in at the time, they were not nearly as fast as her. They maybe didn't have all the same natural attributes, but they were willing to work hard for it. 
And we went to this one meet after a good couple years of training. And that's another point is I like to make is that it takes sometimes not weeks or even months, but it can take years to get to your goals. And so this is a good example of how we really had true transformations with some of our runners after a couple of years. And when I say they ran, I mean, they were gliders at this point. The uh, thing I was really proud of is as they were gliding around the track, I could hear other people commenting about just how smooth these runners looked. And in this case, the girl I'm talking about, Hannah, she was uh, in the stands. She wasn't in the race that these girls were running, but she had run the race and set the precedence for a time to beat for these other two girls. These girls end up coming in first and second in the race. They both broke Hannah's time. But the thing that I find really remarkable, Hannah almost fell over the stands because she was screaming so hard for them to go and they can do it and you got this. And I just, I love those kind of stories where the athletes really have supported each other and they don't see each other as threats. And because of that, those three girls I'm talking about ended up getting first, second, and third in the state in the two mile a couple months later. And those are the results that come, from my opinion, from the the successful mindset. It's such a difference between that type of person and the person who sees the up-and-comers as a threat. You know what I mean? If you can support someone who's trying to beat you, you're a winner. I don't care what you're doing. That is a winning, successful mindset. Whereas the guy who's getting all nervous, like, oh, no, this guy's actually pretty good. You're, you're going to lose at something. You know, you may hold the top spot in your sport for a while. Eventually, you will be dethroned because that that mindset is just it's a loser. Yeah. Being a good sportsman, that's that's the key takeaway here. If you're a good sportsman, you're going to do better in life because people are going to want to hire you. They're going to want to be around you. These are key quality conversations that we're having with our athletes about how they can have a more successful, a happier life and how they can really enjoy their process to success while they're making great friends along the way. Yeah. And that, you know, the leader versus the boss is the example that I like. I I use that a lot in my own life. A leader is there with you, supporting you. A boss is sitting down telling you what to do. And that, that kind of mindset the latter one, the boss, it, it's not sustainable. Yeah, and you just mentioned something that I think when you have people in the workforce that are listening to this right now, guys, this all applies to you as well. This is why we want to turn this into a podcast and talk about these things because I, after years and years of doing Education Station with my kids, and I have to admit at first it was with my kids. Then I started doing Education Station with my adults, realizing that there's actually a lot that we needed to talk about for them, just changing maybe some of the lingo a little bit. But Having knowledge of everyone's goals and the progress that they want to make around you is so important. So in other words, when you go into the work day and you see Jane at her desk and you know 
what is important to her. You've taken the time to acknowledge her and what's important to her, and you address those things. She's going to support you and get to know you a little bit more, and that's how you can build a truly effective workforce within your environment. Even if you don't own the company, you still can make everything so much more satisfying because you're making that culture productive and that'll be recognized as well for you. You're probably going to be getting promotions because of the culture you're creating within that company. Exactly. It's an infectious attitude and people like it. People like being around positive, supportive people. Yeah, they do. And you just said something so important too, Jake, is uh, positive, supportive judgment, right? We, I think we all have judgment in our minds about what is quote unquote good, what is bad, or who is quote unquote lazy, who's a hard worker. Sure. If you didn't have judgment, you would die. Right. We, we all do it. We all need it. I know, you know, we get, get all new age and don't judge anybody. Well, no, sometimes you should. But yeah, well, it reminds me of when I was in the National Civilian Community Corps. So that's um, AmeriCorps. And within that umbrella of AmeriCorps was the NCCC. It's still one of the best things that I've ever done in my life. In fact, my best friend, one of my best friends in life, Allie Goldstein, she came to visit with her family and my family this past weekend. And we haven't talked in a couple of years, which... I wish that we talked more, but it's just like we just pick up where we left off. We always have that unity because of that experience together. But I remember when I first took over a team in AmeriCorps, and I was the team leader, and I interviewed every core member to see what their strengths were, where I could use them in projects that we were doing, et cetera. I had this one girl that I talked to, and I was thinking to myself, you know, she's not a hard worker. I, I just kind of had that judgment about her. And we get to this project we're doing, and she wasn't as physically strong. We were doing an environmental project that time. We were actually building an ADA-accessible trail. So very cool project to do. Um, so these people could go down into the beach area, and it was ADA accessible. So very important project at the time, there wasn't a lot of those type of trails around. I'm dating myself, but this was about 25 years ago. I was in the first class <laughs> for NCCC. Yeah, that must have been some of the beginning of the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? That can't have been around for that long. It was, it was newer, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and so with this girl, she didn't have as much um, endurance, we'll say. Uh, we, were th we were bringing wheelbarrows back and forth all day long. Mm -hmm. And she was clearly tired and she needed a break. And just getting back to what you are talking about before, there was that peer pressure. There was uh, people sort of saying, come on, keep going, you know. And I thought to myself, this is not where she's at her best. Now, I was... At the time, I was in charge of the team, but I was more of a worker in that sense, but I didn't love the paperwork. And the NCCC, we were constantly being judged at the time. It was like Clinton's baby back then. Mm -hmm. And so we had to kind of constantly justify why we were doing these projects, what the cost was. 
to the community and taxpayers. And there was a lot of negativity behind it at first, and especially, I think, because it was new. I think people thought that we were just out there just goofing off all day. And um, that certainly wasn't the case. And we were out there, if anything, to prove if a project was supposed to take two weeks, I wanted it done in a week. Mm -hmm. That was my attitude about it. I wanted to always show that the numbers made sense. And it mattered to me that this NCCC program continued. So I ended up taking this girl, her name was Cherry May, and putting her into administration. So she still, don't get me wrong, she still worked with the team, but when she got tired, I'd have her do some paperwork for me that I didn't really wanna do. And I tell you what, up until that point, the criticism about me and my reviews was always, you do a great job motivating the team. You guys get a lot of work done. You don't have a lot of data. You don't have a lot to prove or to show expenses or to, that was always my weakness. And I was always just sort of trying to get those numbers caught up for each project. Now we finished this project and she had a spreadsheet. She had colors, she had charts, she had, you know, the graphs were out. Within six months or so, our team was recognized for our work and we were nationally recognized. I ended up getting team leader of the year that year, but only because of this girl. I will tell you that if it wasn't for her, I would not have been recognized because we would just would have been one of those sort of blue collar, hardworking teams, but without the numbers to show what we did. So there's just an example of how we were able to work as a team, but recognize what everybody's strengths were and make ourselves better because we all work together. Yeah. And don't write yourself off, man, because I think what you did there is actually a really important distinction between a leader and a boss. Again, you know, a boss would have been someone who's trying to force this round peg into the square hole when it, it's really easy. It has a job and it can do it well, but it's over here. It's just something different versus, you know, someone who's trying to go, oh, she's just lazy. Just work harder. Just keep going. Try harder. Maybe she's just not meant for that. And so rather than firing her, getting rid of her, you know, find something that she is good at. Right. Right. And I tell you what, the other thing I started getting interested at the time was more along the lines of nutrition, because I worked the team hard. I also had to develop a training program for them. But you know why I was in charge of the training program at the time was just because I was quote unquote fit. Sure. I didn't have any certifications or any reason to, to say I would be writing up these programs. I was just somebody who was fit. So they said, hey, you should write up this, the programs for the teams. So I was doing this and giving people completely inappropriate uh, you know, training at the time. I didn't know much better, but it was at the time it made sense to me, but it was girls like this that were sort of suffering because the, the program was too overloaded for her. So she wasn't responding to it, but a lot of it came down to her nutrition. So going, segueing into the subject of nutrition, I feel like Everybody gets so overwhelmed with diets out there and what am I going to do to get that physique that I'm supposed to have, which that's a lot of times a misconception in itself, right, Jake? And Absolutely, man. That's got to be, I think for any successful plan, that has to be a nice benefit, a bonus, a side effect. 
if that's your main reason, you're, I think you're going to have a hard time keeping it up. Yeah, I think that, you. first of all, you should feel good. And, you know, you notice how these things come down to such simple factors like have fun and feel good. And it sounds so simple, but one of the first questions that I talked to her about is, do you feel good um, the way that you are uh, living right now? Does this feel good? Do you feel good? No, I feel tired all the time. I feel sluggish. I, I don't feel fit. I, I feel like whenever we go out to do uh, strength training or, or conditioning that I'm just I'm, I'm not uh, prepared. I don't I, I don't have the lungs or the legs for it and I don't have the energy for it. Well, let's talk a little bit about your nutrition. Let's let's look at that. And Obviously, when we go into nutrition programs or we go into strength training programs, I think that nutrition has to be addressed. The first thing I would say for most people, just getting going, moving is important. And as a professional in this industry, uh, I think that people would assume that I'm going to talk about nutrition as being the first most important factor. But I think that once you get moving, even if you're just getting out and doing a walk every morning for 20, 30 minutes, we talk about, now you're starting to feel better. And because you feel better, you want that feeling to continue. And the more that you do that, the, the less you want to put you know, crap into your body. Once you do start to feel better, you'll really notice it when you start to feel worse. If you ate something really bad the night before, you'll, you'll notice it and you'll go, oh, that's what he's talking about. So this is why I have to actually listen and it matters. Yeah, it does. It matters. And when you have a diet, when you're restricting yourself, there's sometimes a benefit to that because you're going to lose weight and that motivates you. And I get that. But I've lost track of how many conversations I've had with people who are so excited about this diet they're on. And then I see them six months later and they're almost like embarrassed to run into me because they've lost the results and they're back to where they started or even worse. And it's almost like they're going to avoid me because they don't want me to say, I told you so. But that's not what I'm thinking at all. I'm just thinking, geez, understand that this is a lifelong process and you should figure out what works for you in the long term. And that's what I'm always trying to get across to people is don't try to lose 10 pounds at once. Just a little bit incrementally at a time is, is so much more important. And this is a big part of our culture too. With my athletes, I want them them to know that it's not about diets, right? Athletes eat and train. They don't diet and exercise. But like I said before, there's there's a lot of executives or uh, working moms or just in, in general, the adult population that need to realize that the way that they need to eat and train is not that far off from what I tell my athletes. Maybe there are some provisions there. Maybe there are some exceptions because they're not going out and doing 10-mile runs or they're not strength training four or five days a week. I get that. But 
really it's about finding a balance that works. And that's essentially what all my athletes are doing. They're finding a balance that works. Yeah. And that's the difference between diet and exercise and, you know, a training program. And I do have to say, I do have some sympathy for the, you know, the average working person out there, because I think those of us in the media included, I think we're guilty for a lot of the confusion out there. Looking at health and nutrition reports in the media is really misleading because, you know, headlines, eggs are the perfect example, right? How, how many times have eggs flip-flopped? Are they good for you or are they bad for you? Well, the, the truth is, you know, and it takes time to learn this kind of stuff, but the truth is it's more complicated than that. It's, it's not a simple answer. And so someone will, you know, be skimming the news in the morning. They see the headline, oh, eggs are bad again. I guess I can't eat them. What do I do now? And that's why these diets become fads is because people who don't have a full grasp of what they're talking about will will spread it around and you know the average busy person doesn't have time to look into the actual science behind them yeah and when i talk to my clients about supplements for example we oftentimes have that conversation that they actually need to get off the supplements because uh they don't have the nutrition to back up the supplements. Supplementing is just like it sounds. You should supplement. It's right there in the name. Right there in the name. But yet they're almost taking that pill like it's magic, like it's going to do something for them that's going to change everything else. And it, it doesn't. Supplements can be that 1% difference. And I think of it like that exactly is maybe if I have an athlete that is doing everything right, they're getting in enough calories, their macros are good, they're getting in enough of their uh, micronutrients, they're eating their veggies, and they're getting all that dialed in. And then on top of it, now they're going with an extra five or six hours of training a week because they have progressed to that next more elite level. Now we might start to microdose with some supplementation to support that, but that's very few people. And I'm, I always shake my head when I'm in the supplement store and I hear these conversations going on. People are buying supplements, you know, especially when it comes to pre-workout supplements, fat burning supplements, uh, supplements that are supposed to allow them to lose weight quicker, which essentially a lot of times they're just shedding muscle and water weight. It's not the kind of weight they really want to lose in the first place. And along the way, they're relying now on caffeine and on diuretics in order to attain that short-term goal that's not going to last. No, and oftentimes it's really scary stuff. And those supplement shops, wherever you go, if you're going in there for advice, that should really be a doctor who is talking to you about these products. You know what I mean? Or a nutritionist or someone who is qualified not some kid who just got out of high school and is like, I don't know, try whey protein. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but my point is just that it's complex stuff and it's dangerous if handled improperly. Yeah, and I let my clients know this from the get-go is that I do have an RD that I'll refer to or even an endocrinologist if needed. Those kind of experts are there for a reason. Most of the time, and I would say... 95% of the time or more, probably even 97% of the time, that's really not what's needed. But when I talk to people, first thing is, do you know 
how many calories you're taking in a day right now. Let's start there. No, I don't know. Okay, so let's track for three days and see where you're at. Do you know what your breakdown is, macronutrients? Do you know exactly how much of what you're putting into your body and why? And of course, that's a process that takes time to understand. So at least logging for a few days to see where you're really at, you might be surprised many people will make adjustments just because now they're looking at those numbers. And I don't, by the way, like to get obsessed with, with numbers. And I never tell my clients how many calories they should have. That's a point, by the way, that I really want to bring home in this conversation. I don't trust people, um, other trainers especially, who give calories to their clients. I don't trust that. And right there, that tells me that it's almost like playing God a little bit. How would you know? How right. do you know exactly how many calories this individual needs? Today versus tomorrow, very different. 100%. And there's so much bad information out there. Um, if you are following exactly what I eat in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, that may be horrible for you. I eat good quality foods. I eat whole foods. Don't get me wrong. But it might not be nearly enough calories or it might be way too many calories for you. Also, there's other things to consider. I don't tolerate gluten really well, so I tend to avoid those things. But does that mean that you can't have gluten? You may very well be able to have gluten. I don't I don't pigeonhole things. I don't say, well, nobody should have gluten because I don't eat gluten. Right. But I see that so often where... These programs are written up based off of what worked for one person in one situation. Which is when results can sometimes be dangerous because other people will see that, you know, I think a, a real big fad right now is the keto thing. I, I know people in my other places of work who were like really, really obese went on keto and lost a bunch of this, this fat. At the surface, that's great, man. That You look awesome. You look a lot healthier and happier doesn't mean you should be going around telling everybody how great keto is. Right. And a lot of these diets out there, they simply work because it's different mm -hmm. than what they were doing. But it doesn't mean that it's going to work long time, long term, and it doesn't mean that it's right. And in some cases, it can be downright dangerous. So what I generally suggest to people what generally works is that you start off with that three-day plan and then say you want to lose a little bit of weight. Okay, then start with an incremental change. Maybe eliminating a couple hundred calories from your day, maybe that is a good place to start, but incremental changes. I don't like these drastic changes. Now, even when it comes to off foods, where you have mentioned before, Jake, you've worked with clients that they like to have some wine or they like to enjoy their weekends. And then you're going to take all that away by being in this very strict, quote unquote, diet. And now you've taken the social aspect out of their lives that they really look forward to. Now, I'm not saying I don't support uh, drinking necessarily. Right. I don't really drink myself, although I will have a drink on the weekends with friends occasionally. The point is what's going to work for you and making incremental changes there. So instead of having three margaritas, maybe one is going to be sufficient. Just sip on it more. Mm -hmm. Maybe that'll work for you. 
when it comes to other things like a bag of chips. Are you going to buy that family-sized bag of chips and, and bring it into the house and think that it's going to last for more than a couple of days? Because usually, let's be honest, it doesn't. Nope. So maybe buying the smaller bag of chips and maybe not bringing quote-unquote off foods into your home, for example. But allowing yourself to have some of those off foods when you're out eating with friends. Yeah. The point is not to, you know, go complete elimination starvation on these certain things because you still have to live. You still have to enjoy yourself. And, you know, these really, really strict diets, they're, they're very, just like I said, very restrictive. Yeah. And by the way, that's what works for me. And that's what works for most people. I have had some clients that they're all or nothing type of people. So it may be in certain cases where they're going to eliminate those things completely, but they they can continue to do that and they don't miss it. Those clients tend to be fewer and far between. But when I do have somebody that honestly does not want to have those things, well, sure, we can test it out and we can check back in a month and say, oh, how are you feeling? Are you craving any of these things anymore? Do you feel like you're restricting yourself too much? How is your weight, by the way? Are you able to lift what you were lifting a month ago? Do you have the strength that you did a month ago? Are we losing strength at all? Are we losing muscle that we need? Or are we supporting our goals and at the same time maybe losing a little bit of fat? If I have a client who wants to gain a little bit of weight, and of course that tends to be more of the issue with a lot of the guys that I'll work with, they want to gain a little muscle, of course, increasing their caloric intake incrementally, slightly at a time, that tends to work better. But if they're taking in 5,000 calories a day and they're only used to half that, they're going to feel bloated all the time. They're not going to have the same energy anymore. And a lot of those calories are going to be wasteful. They're not going to serve a purpose. And so now they're gaining weight that isn't really relative to their goals. But a little bit incrementally at a time, the body can adjust and you can check back with yourself and say, oh, I've gained some muscle and maybe I've gained a little bit more fat than I wanted to gain. So then from there, you can start to maybe take it down, the calories down a little bit so that you can lose a little bit of fat and maintain the goals that you want. And then from there, especially after, I would say, several months of this, you start to really know what you need each day. So I'm going to give today as an example for myself. I did that 10-mile run in the morning. I know that that's a lot of conditioning. That 10-mile run had about five hard miles in there where I was going at race pace. So my metabolism is going to tell me a little bit more later today about what I need. And that's kind of the flexibility part. But I think you have to earn that. I think you have to get to the point where you know what works for you. And I know if I have some quinoa in my salad later on and I maybe get in some more blueberries, some more fruits, that's going to support what I need to recover from earlier today. Now, tomorrow I'm going to do my Spartan strength training and it's going to be 
you know, more of that sort of interval style of training, a lot of body weight type of work in general, but climbing ropes and doing push-ups and things like this. And for that, my body is going to tell me probably I am going to crave some more protein later on in the day, and I will respond to that. That takes a while to get to that point, though. So journaling, I think we could finish with journaling anyways. Paying attention is what I was going to say. You got to that point because you were paying attention on the way there. Yes, right. And to really know yourself and to um, apply this mental flexibility concept we talk about, that takes time. And that takes, uh, I'm going to steal Rosie Linkus, an athlete of mine. She started, instead of calling it her journaling, she called it her learning log. And actually, I have now started calling it my learning log. I love that phrase. She's just learning more about herself every day. So journaling is a great way to finish this podcast today because it ties in everything we're talking about, whether it's your nutrition, your training, your fitness, with your mindset overall, just knowing what your automatic negative thoughts are, how you are going to plan for the next day, all of this is tied in with logging or with your learning log. I believe it takes a minute. You can write for a minute each day and it can be bullet points, but just giving yourself an overview of what you did and what you've learned and then how to move forward. It doesn't have to take you an hour to log. Now, don't get me wrong. It can take you longer, especially if you're inspired to write more and you had a a day that you felt particularly inspired that you learned a lot from. Sometimes it's a day where you failed and you really want to learn from that. But a minute a day, give yourself that at least. And when you log, you're going to learn so much more about yourself. You're going to learn about, well, how did I recover from yesterday? Well, I got up at 5 a.m. I did my workout. I had X amount of calories. I learned that I need more calories. I learned that because I get up at five in the morning that I need to get to bed sooner. I learned that I have some automatic negative thoughts that are kicking in that I need to come up with some power words for so I can answer those automatic negative thoughts in a positive way. You know, I could keep going and going with this, but this is how you learn more about yourself. This is how you gain mental flexibility, whether it comes down to how many calories you're taking in and why, what what type of calories are those, or it's more about your, let's say, your strength training that day. If you're not logging your strength training, if you don't know how many reps you did at what weight, you might have done an extra couple reps at the same weight that you did the week before, but you didn't log it, so you don't realize that you actually made progress that day. You might be thinking that you're stagnant when you're actually making progress, or the opposite. You could, by logging, you could realize that oh, geez, I've kind of been stagnant here. I haven't really made a lot of progress. I'm comparatively even losing progress to where I was at a few weeks ago. I probably need to change things up. One thing that I always tell my athletes is that where you usually make the most progress is by working on something that you haven't been doing. So 
understanding that about yourself and understanding exactly where you're at, that's from logging. There's, it's so empowering to log because there's so much weight you lift off your shoulders when you document, when you put things down. You don't have to remember anymore. You can mind dump it into your log. And now you don't have to store all that and try to keep all that in your mind. You know you have it down. You can start to focus now on the next thing. Yeah, the mind is a fascinating place and getting that conscious awareness versus the subconscious, you know, when you've got all this information in in your head and you don't let it out or you don't pay attention to it, it can feel like a really heavy burden that you're just kind of autopilot ignoring. It's still there, but putting it on paper it kind of is like getting rid of this burden that you've been carrying. And now you have this, okay, I see it. I can name it because I wrote it down. It's not such a big deal anymore. And now you have this awareness. You can, you can plan. It'll, it'll change so many aspects of your life, nutrition, fitness, work relationships. It's, I highly recommend it. So yeah, Matt, you're, you're on point. Yeah. And I would just like to say that most of my athletes have been successful, but all of my athletes, and when I say athletes, again, my executives, my, my moms, my dads, my young athletes across the board, they've all been successful when they've logged for a long term. Yeah, so in future podcasts, what we're gonna be talking about next is more of the specifics on these areas of culture and fitness and nutrition, recovery, all these things, all these spokes in the wheel that allow us to make the progress that we want to make. What is your process to success? I don't know, but we can help you with some valuable tools and getting a little bit more specific in each of these areas. Maybe you can use some of these tools and apply it to you, see how it works. I'm never going to say that my way is the best way, but I hope that between Jake and myself and the other guests that we have on, that we can just help you to understand understand how you can improve your process or at least give you some help in how to think about it you know maybe we don't have your specific answer we can help you figure it out though by teaching you and by example showing you how we come up with what we're talking about yeah one of my athletes she was in yesterday and she's a collegiate athlete i don't see her all the time she was in visiting for the weekend to see her brother race actually and she asked me well since i'm done with my summer strength training program but now i'm moving on to these other half marathon goals how does my nutrition change now and that seems like such a daunting task to talk about something like this but all i did was i drew out a few different plates for her on the board in my office and we talked about different days and how she would split up her meals how she would choose different options and how they would work better for her based off of her goals for that day and that progression and for that upcoming race and how that can be a little different from when she was just trying to put on more muscle and focusing more on her strength progression over the summer. And so by the time we got done with that conversation, she realized, wow, this is actually kind of simple. I can now see how I portion things out and how I break things down. 
but yet at the same time, I never once told her how many calories she needed to take or what exact foods they needed to be. So those kind of conversations, what I'm looking forward to having with you guys. And of course, I really want to know what you guys think. What questions do you have? And we can answer those questions in more detail for you. So please send in your questions to us. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you can always email us. We are available at pendolaproject at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. Keep it up. Yeah, guys, we'd love to hear from you. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook. And we just launched our Pendola Project on YouTube. So if you guys want to check out some videos, my wife, who will be on the Pandola Project podcast in the near future, is putting up some videos, some training tips, and we'd just love to know how to help you further. So give us some reviews, let us know what you're thinking, send in some questions, and we'd love to have you a part of our culture each and every week. Looking forward to the future, guys. Hey, thank you for listening to The Pendola Project. We do this for you guys. So if you like the show, give us a review wherever you're listening on your podcast app or online. Tell a friend. Thank you to our sponsor, Reno Running Company. They have all the gear and advice to get you going and keep you going. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.